Hear the word of God from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 2. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the, work, in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Good to see you this morning. I hope you're doing well. I am so excited to be able to preach with you this morning and be here together to worship with you this morning and to dive into this text together. We're continuing in our series um, that we've been in, in the, um, Paul's letter, his epistle to the Colossians. And we started off by seeing Paul wanted us to know without a doubt, without a question, that Christ is supreme. That's the word he uses, the supremacy of Christ. And for us, that's our starting point this morning, really our starting point in our whole Christian faith. Our whole Christian life is Christ is supreme. That Christ in you is the hope of glory. Over and over again, Paul is pointing us to this reality, this real thing, so that we know when false teaching comes upon us. You guys remember a couple weeks ago I showed, how do you know when you see a counterfeit? When you know and love the real thing so well. So our focus, Paul is pointing these to people to, our focus for us this morning and for our whole series in Colossians is, do you know Jesus as supreme? His character, who he is. Do you know the real thing that well? So our pastor said, at one point, Paul calls Jesus the head. Now this isn't the first time he says that in this letter. Back in chapter one, Paul says he's the head of the body, the church. In chapter 2, Paul says he's the head over every power and authority. So Paul calls Jesus the head twice. Why is that important? And what does it mean to be called the head of something, right? Historically, we've interpreted the idea of being the head with authority and leadership. This is a common and true, true and common way to understand being the head of at least and points the body where it needs to go. Another definition of the Greek word for head, which is kafela, is source like the source of a river. So what Paul is saying is that Jesus is the authority and the source of power and of the body. So what is Paul saying when Jesus is the head? I liken this to Voltron. Anybody? Voltron? Nobody? Yes, some of you? If you don't know Voltron, then you don't know. I'm sorry for you. But Voltron was the best, okay? 
Thank you. Voltron was the best. Voltron was these group of defenders of the universe that were these group of robot tigers. Okay, I know. You're like, you gotta go watch this now. And they would be separate parts of this tiger, or these, these like little lion things, and they would go out and have these robots, but then when they needed to battle an extra big being, a super powerful being, they would come together and form a super robot called Voltron. At the very end, he'd take out his blazing sword and he'd always dominate, right? That's Voltron. Some of you guys might be like, that sounds more like Power Rangers. That's okay, if you, you can go that route too if you need to go that route. But the most important piece of Voltron was the head, the head piece. You know, without, he's the one that told the body, leg, kick, or boost this way, draw the sword. The headpiece was the one that always told the body what to do. It led, it had authority, it took responsibility. He was the most responsible of all the leaders in the team that made up Voltron. So that's what I'm saying. As a church, the message for you this morning is we need to be like Voltron. That's it, I'm done. No. Seriously, what I want us to understand is what does it mean for Jesus to be the head of the church? What does it mean for Jesus to be head of our authority? What does it mean that Jesus has authority and is our source? That's not where we're at here, but we'll get there on on the slides. There are four points where I want us to get at. Four points of what it means that Jesus is head. Number one, Jesus being the head means that he is Lord. He is Lord. Literally what that means is that the headship, the ownership, the representative leader of who we are is Jesus. He is the Lord. He is in charge. He guides us where we go. But here's the problem with so many of us. We don't like anybody as our head. We live in a nation where the head of our nation is somebody we often make fun of on political TV shows and on television shows. We live in a nation where if we don't like our political head, we just kick him out and vote the next person in. We, in ancient times, the idea of head would be something so different from what we experience now in our Western individualized culture. This was the idea of headship for them was a supreme leader, a ruler, a king, an emperor. But for us in our kind of Western individual mindset in our culture, true headship is difficult for us to comprehend. We don't like the idea of anyone being in charge of us, let alone even God being our head. But scripture is so clear so that for us to truly understand this, for us to live a life that we're called to live is to have Jesus Christ as our head, as our leader, as our Lord. And there's something so powerful, something so freeing about this. He's the one that bears all responsibility. When I used to lead the youth back in the day, I used to do youth ministry back in the day, I used to tell all my youth volunteers, I say, guys, you have nothing to worry about, just come, have a good time, I want you to, to, to you know, play games with youth, be silly, be goofy, if something bad happens, I'll take care of it. Or if there's a kid who's in trouble and you have to yell at the kid, I'll yell at the kid. I love doing that, it's fun. <laughs> I used to tell them to be free, to love the youth, to play games, to have fun. Because if something happens, it's going to be on me. I'm in charge. I'm, so my youth counselor would always tell me, they say, guys, you know how freeing it is to know that I can just come and just have fun and get to know the youth and invest in them because I knew you were in charge. If something bad happened, it's, just, it's all on you. Can I tell you, my people, we, we hold to and try to cling so hard to our own godship, our own lordship. When there's nothing f- more freeing Nothing more beautiful than letting Jesus be Lord. And I'll be completely honest and real with you guys this morning. Before we came up to preach, there was a lot of stuff happening. I use that word stuff to, say, to mean bad things. It was hard getting up here to preach this morning. 
Pastor Danny and I were, and Pastor Eric and I were running around like a chicken with a head cut off. There's all this stuff that we had to get, things were going wrong, and something that we were really deeply emotionally invested in went the wrong way. And it was hard. And so before I came up here, I, I, I took the church, the, 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 the band and everything together, and I was just honestly telling them, guys, I'm just in, in, admitting to you, confessing to you that this is not this right state of mind I want to be in when I preach. <laughs> I'm struggling. But here's my comfort, is Jesus is Lord. And what that means for me, that Jesus is Lord, that he's still Lord over this service, his will will be done. His word will be preached, he will be worshiped. His will will be done in this place. But it's also comforting to know that even over me, that even my emotions, they're real and I can feel them, I can own them and be identifying them, he's still Lord over those too. And I can even choose to give my emotions and my frustrations, identifying them, seriously feeling them, but still to say, God, you're still Lord over them. So we use even that. There's something so freeing about being able to say, Jesus is Lord. And that's hard, I know, in some ways, because we love, every one of us wants to be God over our own lives. We want control, 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 because we feel more secure with the more control we have. The more things we can control, whether it's our kids, our jobs, our homes, or whatever it is, the more power we feel we have, and the more power we feel we have, the less anxious we feel, because we feel like we can control all the bad things that could happen to us. Can I tell you, rude awakening, I'm sorry to say this to you, it doesn't work. Just gonna be honest with you. Because no matter how hard you try to have control, you can't. You're not big enough. You're not strong enough. You don't have that much power. But if you submit, if you trust that Jesus is Lord, then you can rest knowing that it falls on someone else. And that someone else is good. You hear me? Point number one, as Jesus is our head, is that he is Lord. Number two, Jesus is the head he has, means that he has the freedom and the authority to act in whatever way he wants to act, but he chose to act in love and to free us. You understand that Jesus is head, that means he has the authority and freedom to do whatever he wants to do. He is Lord, he can act in whatever means that he wants to act in, but what does he choose to do? He chose to wash his disciples' feet. Do you understand that? Jesus had all authority to be like, I'm not gonna, well, I need somebody to fan me. I need some grapes. You know, I need some, I need some food delivered to me. He had all power to do that, but instead he chose to serve his role as head. He chose to, his, in his freedom and his authority to act in whatever way, he chose to live sacrificially in way of serving others. Do you get that? When you have all authority, when you have freedom, when you have power to act in a certain way that you have nothing can hold you back, nobody can stop you, nobody can say anything about you, if you then the way you act in that moment reveals your character. Does that make sense? If I have all authority, I have all power, then how you act in that moment reveals who you are, how you choose that reveals who you are. When you have all the power, what would you choose to do? Would you be a tyrant? Would you be a bully? Would you be lazy? Would you be prideful? Whatever it is, in the moment when you have all the power and all the authority, what you do in that reveals kind of your character. Can I just be honest with you? Once again, confession, I, I probably confess a little too much here. 
But me having all the power, just having the power at church where I get to kind of dictate the dress code, I take full advantage of it and I wear flip-flop shorts and t-shirts every day. That's bad, I know, because it's lazy. It's not because I want to present a professional face. No, it's because I'm lazy and I like dressing t- poorly. <laughs> that little bit of power that I have, I'm like, I choose it to what's comfortable for me. Do you see? A little bit of power you have, what do you do with it? But if you had all the power, what would you do? Look at lotto winners and people who have all the money that they, want, they don't know what to do with it. Just, what do they do? It reveals your character. When you have all power and authority and unlimited resources, you literally, what, reveal, what you do with it reveals who you are. The character reveals. The more power you have, the more freedom you have, the more your character will reveal about what you choose to do. Can I tell you something? Jesus has all power, all authority, no limit in funds or in time, but his character was revealed in how he spent his life. Sacrificial love. He literally said he served and not to be served. We see his character, his heart. We see God. Third point, Jesus' head is that because Christ is our head, there is no other head. There can be no other head. No matter how desiring to be the head, the hand is, it cannot be the head because it's the hand, and the hand is not made to be the head of the body. I know that's a terrible illustration, but I'm going to say it anyway. No matter how desirable other ideas or philosophies may seem, they cannot actually fulfill the role because our head is uniquely made for this body. There's so much out there that competes to be placed in the role of ultimate authority in our lives. In verse 8 it says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. There are competing forces for the headship of you, of the church. And we're to make sure that we know only Jesus as our head. He is Lord. We, he reveals his character. And he's the only head that we can ever, we were made for it. Guys, I know this is going to sound a terrible illustration, but I'm going to give it to you anyway, okay? If a toaster is made to, uh, uh, I'm not going to say it, never mind, that's just, that's bad. It was so, it's so, as I'm saying it, it's it's just worse as I'm thinking about it. I was going to say about toasters made to make toast and supposed to make toast. So if I try to make anything else with it, it doesn't work, right? I'm just, no, it doesn't work. See, guys, here's the thing. Our body is meant to have Jesus as our head. We're created for a purpose. You're known in our creation. And if we do anything else as our head, it doesn't work. It doesn't match. It doesn't fit. It's like putting, like, like the wrong action figure head on a Barbie doll or something like that. You know what I'm saying? It just doesn't work. We're made for Jesus. That's who we're made for. But the problem is, is that we see all these other things that steps into the role of headship in our lives. Maybe it's the American dream. Maybe it's yourself. Maybe it's materialism. Maybe it's political ideologies. Maybe it's your sports teams. Maybe it's your own security. But things come up. Philosophies appear that says, I'm more important. Let me lead and guide your life. But we're only made for one head. It's Jesus. For because Christ is head, he accomplished all that is necessary for salvation. Hear these powerful words again from Colossians. In him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision not performed by human hands, 
Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Paul is saying here that Jesus has done everything we need for salvation. Back in Paul's time, the missing step that was being sold was, you know, all the Gentiles had to do was, you know, receive Jesus, but then also get circumcised. That was a missing step. There was something missing from their salvation, that Jesus wasn't enough. And that was a tough sell. The Gentiles back there were being told that you need to get the extra step. Oh, I, I became a Christian. I, I believe in Jesus. I accepted what Jesus did. Now I need to get circumcised if they want to be Christians. And that was, you know, probably not good news to most of them. Jesus, what Paul is saying today is that Jesus, is, is, is that, or what the same message today is that you need Jesus and all these other things to be saved. Jesus and the, an hourly quiet time of day. Jesus and read purpose-driven life, or Jesus and all these other things that you need. Jesus and plus something else equates to being saved. But Paul is saying so clearly that not only is Jesus all that you need, he has done everything you need to receive salvation. According to Paul, you don't need any extra steps because it's already been done for you. You were already circumcised, not by human hands, but by Jesus. It was a spiritual procedure. Paul told them that they didn't need to be circumcised because Jesus has already circumcised them, not physically, but spiritually, to, to which all the Gentile men said amen. I thought that was funny. They didn't need to take any additional steps. They didn't need Jesus plus something else. He is everything they needed. He had done everything that ever needed to be done. My people hear me very well that you don't need Jesus plus anything else. It's just Jesus. He's done everything you need. He, that's why he is supreme. And you're a full participant in everything Jesus has done for you. Extra books, quiet times, all that stuff, it's good stuff, you but you don't need them. You already have everything you need in the work of Jesus. He's made you alive through the work of Christ. Your identity as a member of the household of God is by the virtue and the work of Christ alone. All that was necessary for salvation was work through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So there's nothing you need to add. It is the work of Jesus alone that brings you salvation. He acted as our head to bring forth salvation to all. Now those are the four points that exist, but I also want application that matches up with each of those points. So, for application for point one, number one, Jesus is head. He is, because he is head, he is our Lord. So because he is our Lord, application number one is we are called to submit. Do you get that? Tough word, I'm gonna say it again. We're called to submit. Like I said earlier, we don't wanna submit. We don't wanna give up power. We don't wanna give up this idea that we have control, that we have the final say, that we can direct our own lives. But that's what we're called to do. We're called to submit, to say, not my will, but yours be done. Wherever that leads me, down streets or to the ends of the earth, God, wherever you send me, I'll go. Because I'm not a ruler, I'm not the ruler, I am not God. 
And so you set your sights, your esteem, your ideals, your desires, what's foremost. Guys, don't get me wrong. God gives you those things. He gives you desires and he gives you ideas. He gives you dreams. But he uses that to say, well, you put this all subservient to, number one, this idea that you will submit to the lordship of God. His will. His call. And this is so difficult, isn't it? This is a hard step to walk in, to walk in true submission. Because you need to trust the one you're submitting to. Utterly and completely. You need to love the one you're submitting to. Utterly and completely. You need to give less of yourself. I love John the Baptist's quote. When, when people came to ask him about Jesus, he, he says these words. He says, I must become less. He must become more. We need to submit. Submit to his will. Submit to his standards. Submit to his heart for people. Submit to his call. Guys, I want you to get this. This idea of submission is that you can only truly submit if you truly, truly trust the one you're submitting to. It's just not possible. It's not possible if you're like down, if you have questions. You know, it's not possible. Like, like I'm not willing, if I didn't love my wife completely and I trusted that she's going to be with me, I'm not going to like sign over like, oh, let's have all these joint bank accounts where I want bazillions of dollars and here's a lot of whatever it may be. I have to trust her to be like, oh, she's not going to take the money and run away. She is not here. She's not just out here. God telling him, don't talk about Gina and money anymore. You need to stop right now, Lord. You're going to dig yourself quite a hole. The battery seemed to be working. It just seemed to stop for some reason. This is definitely God. I don't even need it. All right. We good? We good? We good? I think Sam's not in the back, right? Yeah. All right. I got the message, God. I'm no more talking about Gina and money and her running away from me. You got to submit. But you got to trust the one you're submitting to. You know, I... I've never liked the idea of skydiving. I know people skydive, and I just think it's the weirdest thing in the world. I'm like, why would I ever do that? I don't trust, I hardly trust anybody, let alone the guy I'm going to be strapped to. Because uh, you, know, you don't go by yourself, right? The first time you ever go skydiving, you're strapped to another person. I don't trust anybody like that. Goes, oh, look, I, I double-tested that parachute 50 times. I don't care. I don't trust you like that. I'm not skydiving. Guys, here's one of our biggest problems submitting. Do you know God that well? And do you trust him over yourself? Most of us don't. Most of us trust ourselves more, which I think is quite weird because if you really knew yourself, you knew how messed up you were. Am I right? I don't trust myself over God because I'm pretty messed up, but I still do all the time. I truly give myself, I think about myself and I'm like, I, I make bad decisions. I should just trust God. But I still trust myself. Guys, we need to submit. Submission is a willingness to lay down what you think are your rights and your ideals and follow the will of God. Amen. Application point two is that because Christ is the head and he revealed his character by the way he acted in his freedom, our application point is we're to love and to know his character. We're to love and to know his character. See, once again, because Christ has had his fullness of freedom, he chooses to use his fullness of freedom to give self-sacrificial love, to show us who he is. Do you love who he is? Do you know who he is? Do you seek out to know who he is? Are you searching to see his character? And so, and so searching, are you falling in love with who he is? 
Every time I hear this story, I just can't help but think about it. Every time I think about the idea of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, every time I read that story and analyze it and think about it again, I'm so amazed by it, so deeply moved by it. He loves so deeply and passionately, and he doesn't need to. He deserves every pampered treatment there exists. He deserves all day at the spa. He deserves royalty, royal treatment. He deserves, you know, strawberries and, and champagne and, and everything there is to deserve. He deserves it and then some. But he washes dirty feet. He shows his character. And we need to love, love his character. We need to know it better. Have you guys ever been around married couples who've like loved each other and been together for a really, really long time? I'm talking like, like 50 plus years or something like that. He's ever been around couples like that? Ever I think it might be an understatement to say that they probably know each other pretty well, right? Most likely. 50 plus years of being married, they probably know each other pretty well. I once had the privilege of knowing such a couple. They lived across the street from me. They were a couple who, I almost felt like they looked the same after being married together for 50 years. I mean, their dog definitely looked like them. And they just had these routines, and they would just do all these things, and all their routines were just so perfect, they were organized, and what they did, the name were the Kings, it was Mr. and Mrs. King. And I remember one day, Mr. King asked me to help him move something from his garage. So I was over at his house, um, I was a teenage kid, like late teen, like 16 years old, I think, and he was, he was giving me some words of wisdom. And he, he, told, he told teenage me, he said, son, make sure you find yourself a really pretty girl. That's, that's, that's what he said. That wasn't the wisest words, but that's what he said. Just sharing with you, he had some unwise words. I'm not saying unwise, but he had other words in there too. But he said, make sure you find a real pretty girl, son. And I said, yes, sir. But then the true nugget of wisdom he shared was after that. He told me to find a girl that you can spend a lifetime getting to know and getting to know her was, that was a worthy pursuit of your life. I, I love that. He said, you know, I'm spending a lifetime getting to know my wife. I spent a lifetime, 50 plus years of being married. And I'm still getting to know her more. My people hear me so clearly in this. Spend your life in a worthy pursuit of knowing Jesus more. He'll never let you down. And you'll fall deeper in love as his character is revealed over and over again to you. Three, because Christ's head, no other head will do. So our application point is that we cannot let any other Lord or philosophy or head try to come and take his place. We need not let, let anything else take us captive. We need to be true to our head. And can I tell you guys, I feel like this happens all the time. I'm going to be honest and real with you guys. I fear that the American dream, pursuit of comfort in this life, has taken over more Christian headships, has become the head of more Christians than anything else. What, we, what drives us is often not Jesus. What drives us is often comfort, safety, materialism. That's what guides us and drives us so often. I know there's tough truths to hear, and I want you to hear it. Those, those are philosophies of this world, desires of this world that are pushing Jesus out. We choose to make decisions based on what is most comfortable to us, what is easiest to us, what brings us the most comfort and joy and peace and contentment and security. Because we find those things to be the ones that are most important in life. But only Jesus can be the head. And only Jesus will fulfill that role. 
Have you ever stopped and thought why it's so easy for us to forsake Jesus and push after other idols in our life? Have you ever thought about that? I often do. I often think about, like, why is it so easy for me to be so self-absorbed and focused about me rather than about Jesus and his kingdom? Right? Do you ever think about that? I, I struggle with that. I often struggle. Like Paul says, why do I do the things I don't want to do and, say, and not do the things I want to do? I struggle with that. I was like, why do I, God, why do I struggle with this? Why do I struggle, like, why do I have a hard time submitting to your will? The reality is, guys, that on this side of eternity, we're fighting against sinful human nature. We all have it. It's a harder battle because we're constrained by our human weaknesses. So fear and anxiety and depression are real, and they have a hold on us. So while we live on this side of eternity, we need to make the conscious effort. This is a conscious effort to not let false teaching and false philosophies rule our lives. What we do is instead, we make the conscious decision to make Jesus as head. Now what that means is not to be defeatist. It's not to say, well, you guys are gonna struggle, ah, too bad for you. No, it's just to say, this side of eternity, I want you guys to realize that this is a constant waging war that we fight. Be aware of it. You've been given the tools to fight it, so you're not alone in it. But be aware of it. Be aware of the fact that it's, na- it's nature, it's human nature to make the decision to go towards security and comfort, to make the decision that's gonna make your life easier and better. But be aware that there's a, a constant battle. Sometimes that is exactly what God wants you to do, but there are other times that God's like, no, choose the hard thing. Do the different thing. But be aware that you're called to evaluate by the power of the Spirit and to make decisions by the power of the Spirit that may be contrary to your human nature. Does that make sense? You guys with me? Yes, sir. All right, thank you. Final application point is this. As Christ is ahead, he has done all that is necessary for salvation, so we worship him. He did everything necessary for salvation. We are in relationship with the one true God. We are known, loved, and have purpose. So we worship him. We worship him. We fall in love with his character. We submit. We don't worship any other Lord. We don't allow any other head to take our place. We worship God. And when I say worship, I mean we adore, we bless, we praise. I know if you ever think of this idea of worshiping, some of you guys might struggle with it. You're like, why do I worship God? What is worship? How do I worship? I'm not really the kind of person that worships. I know that there's some hardcore foodies out here. There's some people who love food, maybe some hardcore foodies out here. They taste, it, they taste and enjoy food differently. I had this friend of mine, true story. He actually goes to this church. I won't embarrass him by saying his name. But he told me he one time went to this restaurant in Chicago. And he was telling me about this because he knew that of all people, I would appreciate what he was saying. So he was saying, I went to this restaurant in Chicago. He said it was so delicious. He said the food was so amazing. The atmosphere was so incredible that he actually started crying in the restaurant. Dead serious. I'm being dead serious. He actually told me. He said, no, no, he actually started crying. And once again, he's telling me this because of all people, I might relate to him. Now, I'll be honest with you. I've never cried over my meal before. I'm going to be honest with you. I've come close. There were some meals that were that good. But he actually admitted to me that he actually, he didn't like, but he was like, so good. This is so good. He was actually enjoying the goodness so much that he actually started crying. And not only was it so good, but he had to like, come and tell me right away. He had to tell me how good it was. He had to share the goodness with somebody else. It kind of completed the goodness for him. Now, I know there's a lot of people out there who are like, well, that's not me, Lawrence. I'm not emotional. I don't get like that. I don't worship anything like that. I'm not a worshiping kind of guy. 
you know, I've heard that before from a lot of people, specifically men who are like, I just, I don't do that. I don't, I'm not, that's the kind of guy I am. But then I see those men on Saturday mornings or Sunday afternoons watching a game played with a leather ball yeah. where uh, they're screaming and cheering, some actually weeping when their team loses, screaming adoration at a, at a college kid, you know? Are you hearing what I'm saying? I hope you are. They're worshiping. Some of you might worship when you see a beautiful piece of art. You might worship when you see a golf course. You might worship when you see a handbag. I don't know. Some people worship it. I don't know, I'm just saying. Do you understand that our call, we are people of worship. We, we, we adore things. We worship things. We lift, place things in high esteem, in high regard. Our call is to worship the right thing. Our call is to see the goodness of God, the beauty of God, the greatness of God, his character, his nature, his love fall on our faces before this incredible beauty, incredible character, and adore it, to praise it, to love it. My son Hudson the other day came up to me. He sat on my lap and just said to me, Appa, which is Korean for dad. So Appa is Korean for dad. That's why I go by. I go by Appa. And then my boys call me Appa and I love it. And he said, Appa, I love that you're my Appa. And just sat on my lap. And I'm like, okay, all right, what do you want? I can get anything you want. <laughs> and that was his way. He was expressing praise, adoration. I'm not saying, he's not blaspheming. He wasn't worshiping me, but that was his way of expressing what God was doing in his heart, what was happening in his heart. Why people sometimes worship is just sitting there and saying, God, I'm glad you're my God. I'm glad you're my Appa. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you need to just sit here and a lot of his character, a lot of his headship, you just need to try just sitting here and saying, God, I'm glad you're my God. God, I'm glad you're my God. Maybe you're sitting here today and you don't know. You don't know that he did everything you need for salvation. You don't know God as your God. You can. Because Jesus has done everything necessary. He's made a way where there seemed to be no way. And if you want to know God as your God like that, there are people who would love to pray with you, talk to you about the work of Jesus. During our last set of worship, we'd invite you to come talk to anybody with a lanyard, talk, talk to me or any of the pastors, and we'd love to share with you the work of Jesus to secure your salvation. Some of you just need to say, God, you're my God, and I submit to you. I want to close with this. This is a message translation of verses 6 and 7. This is the way the message translates these two, two verses, and it says this. My counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you've been given. You received Christ Jesus, the master. Now live him. You're deeply rooted in him. You're well constructed upon him. You know your way around the faith. Now do what you've been taught. School's out. Quit studying the subject and start living it. And let your living spill over into thanksgiving. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, we thank you that Jesus is our head, which means he is our Lord and his character was revealed to us. 
God, that we can have no other head beside him and that he has done everything to secure our salvation. May we respond accordingly. May we fall deeper in love with his character. May we submit to his lordship and may we worship him. God, we move in our lives in such a way that we can look at you and just rest and sit in your lap and just say, Appa, God, we're so glad you're my God. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.